What's up, y'all, and welcome back to Found Bites, a game review series. My name is Brian, and I'll be your host. If you don't know about us, we're all about testing out and finding small, high-quality video games. This is a podcast that aims to respect your time and money as a gamer and a consumer by sifting through storefronts and sales to find the gems that may be worth your precious resources. If you're interested in reaching out or helping out, feel free to email us at foundbytesgrs at gmail.com, tweet at foundbytesgrs, and also rate and subscribe to us on whatever podcast feed you're using. Also, don't be afraid to leave some comments. If you're a developer who would like to participate in our Spotlight interview series of special episodes, please reach out through any of our channels. We would love to hear from you. But enough about the show. Let's get into our next game. the game for this week's episode. Grime is a 2D action platform RPG in the realm of a Metroidvania and Souls-like. I know we throw those terms around. But some comparable games, this is very similar to Death's Gambit, which we've talked about as an episode on the podcast. Also Salt and Sanctuary, Blasphemous, and even throwbacks to Super Metroid. And also another game we covered that's kind of a Metroidvania headlander. So a lot of similarities The game was originally released in August of 2021 on PC and Stadia only. And so it took until the following year, December of 2022, where the game was finally released on PS4 and PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X and S. And it was announced for Switch, but we are still awaiting the release of that, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be imminent. The game was developed by Cloverbyte, and this is their first game. And Cloverbyte is a small team out of Israel, so shout out to them. The game was published by Akupara Games, and they published some games that we have talked about, uh, mainly Darkside Detective. I've also heard of Etherborn, which is another game, and a bunch of other indie games that I have not heard of. The game had DLC released, and the first was Colors of Rot, which was released alongside consoles in December of 2022. And it was released for free, and I think it added a new area and some new weapons, which is very cool. And there's another DLC on the way called Tinge of Terror, and that will also be free. And I think that focuses on some New Game Plus stuff. Uh, I think some different movesets for enemies and bosses. Always love free DLC, especially coming from an indie studio. That really takes a lot. Um, And so shout out to them uh, putting in that extra care. The game was released with a price point of $24.99. Runtime of the game, just to get through the main story going straight through, you could probably get through it in about 12 hours. But if you want to be a completionist, get everything. I think there's a lot of weapons or a lot of hidden things, a lot of Metroidvania-style secrets. Probably around 20, maybe a bit over 20 hours to get all of that. Me, I got this for sale on PSN. 
for 1999. So I've been playing it on my PS5, and I've put in about five to six hours. I've gotten pretty far. I'm seeing a bunch of areas and fought a bunch of bosses. The game was recommended to me by two guys that we talked about from our last episode, uh, Gary and Cole. Uh, they have the podcast Watch Out for Fireballs, but they also have the podcast Bonfireside Chats, which takes deep dives into Souls games or Souls-like games. And so on Bonfireside Chats, they did a four-part episode of this game, and I listened to the first part way back when it was only on PC before there was even an announcement of consoles. And I was very intrigued by the idea of it. So I just kind of jotted it down and put it in the back of my mind. So definitely shout out to Gary and Cole from Bonfireside Chats. Uh, that particular podcast is behind a paywall. I think their Patreon is called Duckfeed TV. They really put in a lot of work for that podcast. Definitely worth the paywall if you're a Soulsborne fan. Uh, but if not, uh, their other podcast, uh, Watch Out for Fireballs, is available for free. So check those guys out. Let's talk some gameplay for Grime. So as we said, this is a 2D action platform RPG, and it has a lot of DNA of being a Metroidvania, Souls-like. So it's definitely going to have a lot of those hallmarks. For example, with Souls-like stuff, you know, you're going to have your melee combat. You're going to have different weapons, weapon variety that you can equip that'll have different stat scaling. You're going to have these bonfires that you rest at to kind of recoup, and it resets the area. You can upgrade your moveset, and there's a 2D map which is very similar to a lot of Metroidvania maps. There's the idea of dying, and you know, you're know you reborn back at the bonfire, and you have to go find your stuff, all that, etc. So let's walk through the basic moveset. You have a 2D screen, and you're walking back and forth, and you can jump. There is ledge grabbing. You have a dash action where you can kind of dash through enemies or even dash through some low openings and walls. Uh, you have melee attacks, two different ones. I would equate it to weak and strong, although it's like normal and then like special attack. And then you have this parry mechanic. The timing for that is definitely something that I haven't seen before and also the mechanic for what else it does in terms of uh, absorbing stuff from your enemies is very interesting. We'll talk about that later. You will definitely get advanced abilities as you progress. This is very much out of the Metroid series. And just some platform features that you're going to see. There are ladders. Uh, they don't look exactly like ladders, but just the mechanic of that. Uh, there'll be crumbling platforms where you, if you step on them, they'll fall apart. So you have to hurry up and get by. Uh, there'll be these gates that are kind of one way. And again, if you're a fan of Bloodborne or Dark Souls, you know exactly what I mean. Or like you can only open it from one side and then you have access to that in perpetuity. And you'll find hidden rooms and pockets. A lot of gameplay elements that are going to be ability specific. Like I said, much like a Metroid Prime or Super Metroid, you're going to get abilities that will allow you to 
progress certain areas, but you need that ability first. So let's talk about your character. So there are two main meters in the top left of the display. And one is health and the other is force. Health is pretty self-explanatory. You don't want to get hit, you'll lose health. But force essentially acts like stamina. And so if you use a lot of it, like if you attack a lot in a row and then dash, you know, you're going to be low on stamina and you got to wait for it to recover. There is an interesting mechanic with healing because you have something called breath. And if your breath meter is full, you can hit it and you'll get like a nice chunk of health back, but it's a regen. So you have to kind of wait as it goes back up. What's interesting is that the parry mechanic is actually linked with this. And so what's going to happen is you'll have this meter that's up near your health and your force where it's got like four spaces. And when you use it, uh, it'll be completely depleted. But then as you parry certain enemies and kill them with that parry, you'll get one of those four notches. So really what it's going to help you do is kind of elongate uh, how long you can stay out for a run. And if you use that regen you can kind of recharge it by parrying enemies, which is really interesting. Your stats as a character, uh, there are five stats, so health and force. So if you add to those stats, obviously you're adding to your max health and max force, a strength, dex, and resonance. What's interesting about the three other stats besides health and force is these are going to be relevant for scaling for weapons and abilities and things like that. And so when you're able to level up, you can kind of put more into each of these stats depending on if you're using a certain weapon or if you want to try a certain build although i haven't gotten deep enough to see really the difference between builds and the way that you level up is by getting currency and then paying for adding different levels and the price of a level is going to go up as you add more and getting this currency and the currency is called mass you're going to do it by killing enemies and also you'll get maybe some consumables that will give you mass another stat that you'll get is called ardor a-R-D-O-R. In the top left corner where the meters are, there's going to be a circle and there'll be a number there. And that's telling you how much ardor you have. And basically what this is, is like a momentum stat. And as you kill enemies, this number is going to go up. And what the number means is an increase in the amount of mass or currency that you get from killing enemies. So there's kind of this momentum buildup where the more enemies you kill, the more currency you're going to get and the more you're able to get more currency. And this is the one thing that you will lose when you die, but you can kind of regain it. Some of the items and equipment that you're going to get. So let's first start talking about weapons. So like I said, weapons can scale with strength, dex, or resonance. Uh, sometimes they can scale with multiple of these or all of these. It'll show you like with the picture which one it scales with and like a letter grade for it. Some other aspects of weapons are going to be the speed that they attack, like how much general attack power as well, and like sort of a vague hitbox range. And I actually find that the hitbox for most weapons is pretty generous. Uh, I do remember I was fighting this one boss and I was using a weapon that scaled with dex and resonance, more resonance, and it was kind of short and if you hit an enemy it would kind of release a projectile, but I was fighting like this giant bird and it was taller than me, but its head was kind of poking down like a little around my head level and I was hitting at like normal height, I was just swinging my weapon and it was hitting it. So it's actually really generous uh, with the hitboxes, so I really like that. What's interesting about the different weapons is, like I said, there's going to be a normal attack and then like a special attack. And you'll find that the special attack really varies with the different weapons. Weapons can be upgraded 
with a specific currency. It's called like blood metal splinters or, or something like that. And this can kind of change the stats, up the damage, up the scaling for certain things. I will say, if you're somebody who's really into Souls-like games and weapon scaling and builds, so far, and I feel like I'm about halfway through the game, I've seen this have a slight impact but I think it's pretty minimal. Like, I really don't think you're going to have massive builds or different builds based on the different weapons that you want to choose. And not even comparable to Dark Souls or anything like that. But I would say, like, not even, like, Death's Gambit. Death's Gambit does a lot more depth with builds. This seems to be more kind of, like, fairly general. Like, pick your weapon and, and boost that stat if you want. You can also equip armor. And there are three types of armor. You can do torso, arms, and legs. And you'll get stat bonuses uh, depending on which armor you equip. And some of these stats can increase your health, increase your force. And what's also interesting is you'll get like sets. So you'll get a set of a torso, an arm, and a leg. And you can use them together and it kind of boosts different things. Most of the time it's going to boost a certain percentage of a specific trait, which is really interesting. We'll talk about what traits are. What's also interesting with armor is that you can wear it or you can use it as the cosmetic. So if you don't like the stats of a particular armor and you want your character to look like they're wearing it because you like the look of it, you can actually add that in, which is really cool. I don't see a lot of variety in how they look. I think it's a nice touch, um, but I don't think it's really adding too much depth. You also get a lot of items. Most of these are going to be consumables or throwables. So these can be consumables that will give you extra currency or boost your health or boost your defense for a little while. Um, the throwables are interesting. Some of them are like kind of knives or kukuris type deal. Uh, some of them are more lobbing, like explosive. What's interesting is that you assign them to the D-pad. It is a little comforting knowing that there's like a D-pad in the bottom left. It's very similar look to like Dark Souls or Elden Ring. But the way it works in those games is you'll cycle through the different items and then you'll hit like square to use the cycled through item. But what's interesting is that you have to hit the D-pad to use the item. And it can be kind of awkward if you're if you want to throw something mid-combat because you would then have to take your thumb off of the joystick and not move. So it's a little bit weird. I think it's fine, especially if you're using consumables that are more passive or just to like prep for going into a boss fight or something like that. But if you're using throwables, um, sometimes I have to like pull my right hand over and just hit it. Most of these things, weapons, armor, items, like you'll find them out in the world. You might get it as a reward for killing an enemy or killing a boss or a mini boss or a field boss. But you can also find like these shops and traders. I don't know if there's rhyme or reason to like how frequent you see them. They won't show up on the map. So they seem kind of random. It's just like a random NPC you walk up to and you can talk to them and they'll sell you things. And not having it marked on the map is, is a bit irksome. There's not going to be like a centralized location where like, okay, this is the guy you can buy weapons from. This is the guy you can buy consumables from. It's kind of random what is available from certain people. And again, there's also traders, which is a little weird because they might trade you an item for something specific that you have. And so I didn't really do that when I saw that because I was worried that some the thing that I had uh, maybe was rare or like I needed it for something else. So I just kind of stuck to finding things in the world, which is fine. It's worked for me. I've got plenty of consumables, but I wish there were something a little better mechanically or just transparency in terms of like where shops are or like a more centralized location. Speaking of locations, uh, let's talk about locations and the map. In terms of the layout of the map, 
Like I said, it's a typical Metroidvania map. It's 2D. You will see some points of interest as you find them. So like these save points that we call surrogates, you will see them like dictated on the map once you get to them. And it'll be uh, an icon that's very obvious. Much like in Dark Souls, you can use them to kind of rest and reset. That's where you can also level up or level up your traits, which we'll talk about. Some other things, there are fast travel points. I'm getting close to halfway through the game and I've seen a couple fast travel points, but I don't really have a purpose for them, I feel. But I haven't really felt the need to go back yet. So there's also uh, an icon for where a boss room is. Again, only if you get close to it or go in it will that icon appear. There's also an icon for beacons. Now, beacons are going to be where you find the map in the area, which allows you to see it. So as you're traversing, what's kind of interesting and a little bit irksome is that you do have to find the beacons in the specific area in order to see the full map. And so when you get to a new area, if you pull up the map, it's just going to be darkness. It'll just be black. So you have to find the beacon. It can be a little annoying because if you go deep into a new area and you die, it's kind of frustrating to know if you really want to go there, if you remember exactly where you wound up. The map will show you like where you died. So you can find your way back. But I found it a bit irksome because like I would go down to an area and like keep dying. I got to the point where I was just looking up where the beacon was because I really just wanted to see the map so I could see where I was going or where I could be going. I do wish also that maybe there were more save points. Most of them are in good proximity to a boss fight, so in general the boss runs are not bad at all. But I found that once I go into a new area, I just wish that there were more save points. So like if I died, I didn't have to go so far to get back to where I was, especially if I can't even see the map. But what is really good about the map is... As you're walking, as you're going through and just progressing in any area, there will be like this dot path that shows you where you've walked. So even if you want to backtrack your own steps, and even if you don't have the map, it'll still have the dots to show like what path you went through. I feel like this is really good in terms of accessibility or just transparency. And what's even good is if you die and you pull up the map again, it will show those dots from your last life, but like kind of smaller. So if you want to backtrack, there are these dots. It just doesn't show you the rooms. Kind of a give and take there, which is interesting. In terms of progressing the game, it's pretty straightforward. You beat bosses, that'll open up areas. And sometimes you beat a boss and you'll gain an ability, or sometimes you just gain an ability in general, and that'll kind of unlock a certain area or being able to go to a certain area. In terms of what you'll be interacting with in regards to enemies. Some will be hostile, some will be NPCs. It can be a little confusing to know whether someone's a hostile or NPC, so like you might have to creep up. A lot of your NPCs and hostiles look very similarly, so it can be a little tense until you really know for sure. There's an interesting relationship with enemies in this game. So going back to what we talked about with your breath or this regen mechanic that you have, like I said, there's a meter and it has like four slots, at least to start. And when that's full, you can hit it and you'll regenerate if you need health and it'll completely deplete all four of those slots. But the way that you populate them again or refill them is you have to kill enemies with your parry. And so when you're attacking an enemy, when you're having an interaction with them, their health bar will pop up. And what you'll see is like, it's a red meter and then there's like a line and what you have to do is you have to get that enemy's health under that line. And when you do, 
if you parry them, you will kill them and like absorb them. And then you'll get a tick on your uh, breath meter. So it's really interesting how that works, especially because it also works into another mechanic, which has to do with traits. When you go to a new area or if you see an enemy for the first time, if you can kill them with your parry, what happens is you'll get like a notification that says new prey. And it'll say like how many of them you need to parry kill like that or absorb kill like that. And it might be like you need to kill five of them or six of them or eight of them or something like that. And what it does is it like kind of sets this bounty up where if you kill five of them, you'll get access to this trait bonus. And so as you're progressing through the game or if you go to a new area or you see a new enemy, what's really cool is... There's like this little collect-a-thon thing where it's like, oh, I need to kill this enemy six times and then I'll get something. It's a little Monster Hunter-ish maybe, but basically you're going to unlock a trait when you kill a certain enemy a certain number of times with the parry. And these traits are what you can spend certain points on to give yourself bonuses. And so these bonuses are like get 10% more health or 15% more force or something like that or when you miss a parry you'll absorb like 50% of the damage or something like that so there's a lot of variation in these traits and it's really cool because they can be progressed so like you can put in one of these hunter points and it'll allow you to have 10% more health but if you put in another or like go to the next tier and it might cost two points then you get like 30% more health and so you have these traits where it's like there are five stages of it that you can add points to and add bonuses to your character. And so like I said, you have to get these hunter points. And hunter points are interesting because as you're progressing through the areas, you'll see these like kind of field bosses or like these tougher one-off enemies. And if you kill them, you'll get a hunter point. And then you can use that to invest in one of the traits or something like that in terms of combat what's interesting is that there is kind of scarcity with these enemies you're not really going to see a lot of mobs uh, you might have a situation where there's like two different enemies or three different enemies and that can really uh, heighten the challenge there but it's really interesting with the scarcity because like i said you're going to need these enemies if you need to refill your breath meter or you want to you know, finish this trait mission or whatever just to get all of the prey that you need to to unlock the trait. But just in general in terms of combat, I think it's a really fair challenge. I like the parrying. I like the timing of the parry because it does have more of a window and there's even a trait that can kind of open that window. I think that synergy or that dependency with enemies... Like, you want to avoid getting killed by enemies, but at the same time, if you need to refill your breath meter, like, you sometimes are looking for an enemy. In terms of bosses, I think there's really good variety and challenge with the bosses. I like some of the mechanics, and I am not seeing a whole lot that's reused or, like, regurgitated. I really think a lot of these bosses are unique. In terms of accessibility, I think in general the difficulty is pretty solid. I've died a bunch, and what's also interesting about the dying mechanic, like I talked about before, you're only going to lose that ardor, which is just like your momentum, how much more of the currency you're getting when you kill enemies. So you're not losing your currency, which is really good, because you can die and actually find it as a good means to be like, oh, now I'm back at the save point, like let me level up actually with this currency. In terms of it, in the grand landscape of Souls-like, I feel like you can be uh, pretty aggressive with this game in terms of melee combat, but what's interesting with the parry 
it actually winds up being slower paced and I really like it. It's a very different take. I wouldn't even compare it so much to Sekiro because I think that's very fast. This is like you're just looking for visual timing and then you hit the parry and it really kind of works out for you. It does take some adjustment to get that timing, but ultimately I do think it's more accessible because of that. Um, you don't have to do quick melees and dodge and stuff like that. You can kind of just be there and wait for the right attack. Let's talk about the vibe of grime. Some interesting things to unpack here. So let's start with just some general themes. In the early goings, and it'll kind of trail out throughout, there's a lot of thematics about rocks and, you know, lithic areas, um, and you are made of rocks. So it's really interesting because you're going to come across a lot of NPCs and enemies and environments that kind of start in this bedrock phase where like everything is a rock or people are rocks and you're a rock. But as you go through the game, it will kind of evolve in a way. You'll have areas that are more kind of plant-based or flower-based. Um, and you might have some animals or kind of burrowing things. And what's interesting, it, it's a bit tongue-in-cheek or matter-of-factly, like sometimes in dialogue, like how this is expressed or maybe some like very vague puns or, or things like that, or just some general humor about it. I think the game kind of doesn't take itself too seriously, but there might be a greater element to it, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Your character, as you progress, as you beat bosses, the idea is that you're like acquiring mass, and you can see it on your character, like they, they get bigger or they get certain features. Something else that you'll see is like, there's like this kind of guide character who not quite travels with you, but like will be at certain points as you progress. And so that can be kind of a good way to know that you're, you know, maybe progressing the right way or like some consistency or like, oh, I know this guy, like he was there and now he's telling me this has to happen. That's something that happened pretty similarly in Blasphemous. There was like this person who, I don't know if they were like holding up a flag or a stone tablet or something like that, but just as like a sign you knew you were going in the right direction. In terms of you as a character, it's really interesting as you're going through like the beginning areas, the tutorial areas, like you'll talk to a lot of people that are rocks and some of them are going to be like on your side or like, you know, giving you the thumbs up, which kind of weirdly makes you feel briefly that you're like the people's champ of rocks or something like that. But then obviously there's a lot of enemies that are rocks and so some like, you know, hate you or know of you. And it gets kind of deeper because initially and throughout there's this question of like how are you like what are you how are you made or how are beings in general made i've gone back and forth about what the title means like what grime means what does it indicate but i think there's a lot to unpack here in terms of like an existential feeling or like some kind of commentary or if there's a bigger purpose for you i think the general goal of the game is for you to like 
get to the top or get to people or get to uh, you know kind of meeting your maker type thing. And so what this brings about as the story progresses or as you get to different areas is it becomes obvious that there's like some kind of strange class system. And I don't know how literal it is with like the earth and like you've got your basic layer, which is rocks, and then you've got these other things and then you've got plants and then you've got things that are, you know, more humanoid. And so there's like this weird class system with depth, I feel. What's also interesting is that you're, you are made of rocks, but the rocks that you walk around and interact with are like these giant boulders that are just like randomly talking and have life. But you're like shaped like a human, like you have legs and arms and the game points that out and the characters point that out as like you're like this chosen one or like you're you're the one that's going to make it to the top or there's this interesting like rags to riches or rising from the ashes or like almost like a, a little bit of journey like you start at the lowest point and like you're the one who's gonna go all the way and so a lot of interesting stuff around that uh, thematically i haven't gotten to any point where like i'm getting big realizations but i feel like something is brewing there and it may turn out that it's you know, just a metaphor or something that you can interpret. But I do think that the dialogue is really alluding to there being something more literal or more meaningful and explicit. In terms of visuals, like I said, when you start, uh, there are a lot of rocks. Things are, are very bedrocky. And a lot of the beginning areas, and even as you get to further areas, it feels very compressed. Like you are underground and you're like barely making it through these tunnels. It feels like everything is very cramped. The view of the game is like this underground cross section, like you're just looking from the side. It's actually interesting how this plays because there are hidden areas like where there's just black or something like that. And you think like, oh, that's just where there's, you know, something jutting out, you know, from where I am into the screen. And so I can't see it and like there's no path there. But like sometimes you can like duck behind it or something like that and it'll open up sort of this hidden area that you didn't think was there. So and then you'll have some areas that are more open or have more ceiling or be more deserted or so there is some variation in environment and i think that's interesting what's also interesting is that even if it's like very rock heavy or even sandy or anything like that it's not overly colorful but the colors that are there even if they're majority beige or like weird grays there's some kind of really good lighting or sheen to make it feel like these environments do pop even though there's not great variation in color in terms of enemies and even bosses, enemies are pretty simple and unique, but do have great variation, especially as you go throughout different environments. Like you will see some changes. It's not like they reuse different types of enemies or anything like that. And you will see some weird things. There are some things with tentacles that do interesting things with their combat mechanics. There are some enemies that are oddly tall. Um, some of those like field bosses that give you the hunter points, like you know when you see one because like you'll kind of go into a room that looks like it has a dead end and you'll just see this guy kind of lurking and looking at the wall and you're like that guy is going to be tough and i feel like in general they have good move variation that is different depending on the enemy and yet i still feel like they're all very good at telegraphing for that parry combo in terms of audio um the music in this game is really good there's a lot of orchestration with strings violins and and it really comes through. There's really a lot of motion in them, but it's not always quite playing up with the music. Sometimes it's kind of down and you're hearing more 
of just the general sounds and sound effects. But especially when you go into a boss room or if something happens, like you open a new surrogate save point, like the music kind of amps up and you really hear it and you really feel it. What does come through with the audio is that these areas are very cavernous. Like you hear these kind of low rumblings in the background or it is minimal in terms of sound, but I feel like it's very moody and it sets the tone very well. And I feel that way about voices too. There are some odd voices for some of these NPCs, some of these rocks, um, and it does come through. Um, and I really, really liked uh, sort of the tone that they set. Let's wrap up the conversation about Grime. I think this is a great, you know, Metroidvania Souls-like game, but it's super unique. I think the combat pacing is really unique. I love the parry, and I love the timing with the parry. It promotes this, like, aggressive combat, but kind of relaxed and timing-based. And I love the synergy that the parry does with, like, healing and gaining traits. I feel like there's a lot of respect for you as the gamer with the pacing the tutorials, I feel like they're done really well. And I also feel like the collecting, like when you're in an area and you're collecting or, or parrying enemies to get those traits, I feel like there's some synergy that works very well with the scarcity of enemies. So I feel like everything is kind of in tune. Like the placement of enemies is very intentional, as well as these tough field bosses. And I just think when you're in an area and you're kind of collecting or sweeping through and getting enemies, it always seems doable. I really like the customization with how you can play traits and stats and you can kind of boost what you want and wear what armor you want. I would like more scaling and the depth there with weapons, but I do really feel like there's more of this game that I've yet to see, even though I'm getting close to about halfway through. And I also feel that way about the story and the vibe. I feel like there's something here that I'm not quite dusting off, but it feels like there there could be something here. And I really want to see what it's getting at. In terms of value, $24.99, I think this is a solid Metroidvania that's very unique in, in its Metroidvania and Souls-likeness. And so I think that's a good price point, especially if you really like the genre. I think that's some good value here, especially with this free DLC. I love games that do free DLC. I know we talked about that with Dandera and Trials of Fear. Gotta love indie studios that are giving free DLC. Shows a lot of respect for their gamers and people who have purchased their games. I think if this game is on sale, it's really great to take a stab at. And I also feel like it's good for if this is your first 2D Souls-like game. Like I said, I think it's very accessible. I think the parrying is something that you can get used to, and it kind of actually slows down the combat. And so I really do recommend this game, and I really hope you check it out. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Stay tuned for our next episode to see what new game we found for you.